Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. You're here at part two of our Kevin Smith season. We're doing a three episode look at the entire career of Kevin Smith. The entire directorial career, which is basically what he's written as well. And we're going to look at his side projects a little bit. Uh, we've already dealt with early Smith. Uh, this week we'll be starting with Jersey Girl. So if you want to go back and listen to last week's episode, if you haven't already. But... As always, with me, Alan Turing, is Sol Harris. Hello. Hello, hello. And no special guest this week, just the two of us. So we need to just plough our way through these Kevin Smith films. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, generally, I think, uh, just to give a brief overview, we've been enjoying Kevin Smith's career so far. Uh, last week, is there a sense that we're coming down the peak? Well, first of all, I, I think it's... I think it's very rude that you you haven't mentioned our special guest, Silent Bob. (laughs) Yeah, hang on, let's just see if he's got anything to say. Oh, he's raised his eyebrows in a comical manner there. (laughs) Very good. Oh, he's pretending to suck a penis there. Well done. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, Coming down, coming down the peak, let's see. Uh... I don't know if it's coming down so much as we've come down and we're just kind of <laughs> wallowing in around in the mud at the, the bottom of the mountain, which uh, might be a bit dramatic, but I, I I think the way we've split these films up in Kevin Smith's career, I think he has had three very distinct portions of his career. He's had yeah. the the first chunk that we did last week, which is what everyone thinks of when they think of Kevin Smith. Yeah, that's Kevin Smith making films with his friends, basically. Yeah, little low-budget comedies, irreverent. Uh, now we're into the second phase, which is the attempt at breaking mainstream Hollywood yeah, yeah. and making bankable, successful yeah. films to varied results. Mm-hmm. And next week we'll look at the kind of more auteur... Oh. Outsider Smith giving up on that. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't need the studio. I'll do it myself. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, this is mainstream Smith, or at least an attempt to that. And yeah. starting with Jersey Girl, which is probably the most conscious effort at a mainstream. In fact, no, it probably is the most mainstream film Kevin Smith's ever made. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to make an argument for Zach and Miri, but that's got all the sex stuff in it that probably mm. alienates a lot of people. I mean, Cop Out definitely is... Uh... Yeah, but I mean, that's got Tracy Morgan in it, that's going to alienate a lot of your audience. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is, yeah, it's a Ben Affleck-driven romance, romantic comedy, but definitely emphasis on the romance rather than the comedy, considering yeah. it's Kevin Smith, it's not a gag fest, it's, it's yeah. not supposed to be. Very few... Um... Very few Star Wars references in there. <laughs> there's a no, there's a good, quite a few actually compared to a normal film. There's a few. Yeah, I, I mean by <laughs> Kevin Smith standards, he's um, really paired it back. But yeah, as we've said previously, Kevin Smith really likes to write what he knows, and that's fair enough. And you know, a few years before he made this film, he had a child, and so this yeah. film is all about a dad dealing with. Uh, a child and it, and I can now I said it's a romance film there is this romance subplot with him and Liv Tyler but ultimately at its heart this is a this film is about a man's love for his daughter and kind of 
all yeah. your romantic cliches go onto that relationship. Like, he fucks it up, but then he wins well, the battle, I, all this sort of thing. I have to say, in my memory, this was just a romantic comedy. And on the rewatch, I, I, I'm not entirely sure that that's that fitting a, a label for it. I mm-hmm. I think this is a romantic comedy as much as something like Shaun of the Dead is a romantic comedy, and people often say it is, but Shaun of the Dead isn't a romantic comedy at all. It's it's a it's a horror comedy that happens to have a romantic subplot in there. And I don't know, I think to be honest, this is a this is more of a kind of comedy drama about a guy and his daughter that also has a romantic yeah. subplot in there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But at the same time, I think all the elements that you would apply to a relationship in a romantic comedy or romantic drama that is very applies true, yeah. to the guy and his daughter. That in the sense that at first true. they don't get on because he resents her for something, then... He kind of he puts his life on hold for her. Then he kind of paddles back from that, and then he has to win her back at the end of the last yeah, like dramatic yeah. run to the airport. Um, so it kind of hits all those cliches. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost plays like a genre deconstruction. Honestly, it's a, a kind of weirdly meta approach to rom com. Mm, I don't. Yeah, I don't I think any of that's it's not quite subversive enough to be. Into, yeah, it's not quite. But yeah, I think it's just. You know, a person who really knows, watches a lot of films and knows how they work. Uh, that's yeah. it's kind of something we haven't really talked about. That Kevin Smith, in general, is a he's one of those pop culture people. Like he's like Quentin Tarantino. You know, he's he's a director who was brought up on films uh, and TV, and that new generation of directors who, yeah, everything they know is through popular culture. It's probably worth noting, like, whereas you get the impression that Quentin Tarantino just devoured films and anything he could get <laughs> yeah. his hands on and all sorts of different genres and stuff, you kind of get the impression Kevin Smith maybe just watched Star Wars on a loop. <laughs> um, well, do you know what? I, I wanted to bring this up, actually. I thought I'd save it for this week. But I've I've got this theory that, that Kevin Smith is, like, the embodiment of America, of the United States. <laughs> like, he represents modern America, because yeah, he's he's got mm. a, he's got a problem with obesity. Um, <laughs> he's but uh, he's he's got, he's got issues with women. Entirely, Very yeah, he's entirely fed by pop culture. But it's it's like this the most mainstream a sense of pop culture, whatever's on TV when he's yeah. growing up, and or Star Wars, basically. But there's a real... Yeah, he he's religious, but knows it's bollocks, really. Uh, yeah, that's very he can't <laughs> bring himself to get rid of it. He, he follows uh, a completely arbitrary sport. <laughs> Although this is the problem, he's, he's, he's quite pro-Canada, is Kevin yeah, Smith, and yeah. that's, that's the one kind of... That flies in the face of... <laughs> Yeah. Well, the the, the other the other thing is that he's willfully ignorant. It's like he knows how much he doesn't know, and he doesn't care. He doesn't want to learn. He just he likes what he knows, uh, and he's, he's he's intelligent enough to know what he doesn't know. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a very American trait. Yeah. Did you know that Kevin Smith's mother had a miscarriage when she was trampled in a Black Friday? Uh, stampede. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's no. one of the most American things I've ever heard. What? Yeah. That's, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, yeah, Jersey Girl. Okay, yeah, so back to it, Jersey It is, Girl. I think, best summed up as a film that aspires towards mediocrity. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Okay, so your your feelings are clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Do you, do you not think it is? It's baffling that Kevin Smith's attempt to. Like, I don't know. My my assumption of this is based purely on watching the film, but my read of the situation is he thought, "I want to prove that I can make a mainstream, successful film that's popular with everyone." Ergo, I'm going to make the most watered down, mediocre film in the world because that's what I perceive as being popular with the masses and you know he's not wrong i suppose yeah but it it feels very consciously like kevin smith like surgically removing any elements of his own personality from the film not entirely but enough to just kind of make the film a bit pointless basically he just doesn't seem to have the talent to bring any other voice or any other quality to it other than his own Kevin Smithy nature, so you're just left yeah. with an incredibly nothingy film. And I know, I know what you mean, but I think, and yeah, I don't know how conscious that was. I think you're right, but it may just be you know he was at a different phase in his life and he was expressing something yeah. a little bit different. You know, he's changed. He's not a kid who works at a convenience store anymore. You know, he's a he's a dad. He's got a career and all this. So you know, maybe it's just that his position has changed slightly, and he wanted to express that. I don't know how consciously he was going, oh, and that'll appeal to more people because I'm more boring and normal now. You can definitely still feel Kevin Smith in this film. It it doesn't feel like a generic film in that sense. I think he's still got his personality in there. Oh, I, I think it does. I, I think this could be... You could stack this film up alongside The Family Man with Nicolas Cage and a whole wealth of other similarly middle-of-the-road rom-coms and if I'd never seen any of them, you say, tell me which one of these is a Kevin Smith film. I mean, I'd probably go for the one with Ben Affleck in it, but <laughs> let's let's <laughs> remove that from the equation. I, I don't think I'd be able to tell, based purely on the script. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean, but I think there is. I think there's just an edge to it that you would be able to tell. But I, I'll, I'll grant you, it's not a lot. It's definitely, this is much more of a generic film. Let's talk about the film itself. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, we need to deal with a film that came out just before called Gili. Um, oh, yeah. Which was a vehicle for Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, uh, who, who were a, a couple, relationship at the time, a very yeah. high-profile you know, celebrity couple. They did this film together called Gili. It was an absolute bomb. So then, Kevin Smith's already got this film shot, or in shooting, with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez playing a couple, and it's like, suddenly that's not a good idea anymore. That's not going to fly. But the, the whole concept of this film is that Ben Affleck's wife, played by Jennifer Lopez, dies, uh, and that's your inciting incident. It sets up he's a single father. So I'm not sure how much that's a problem, but from what I heard at the time, the bit with Jennifer Lopez was much longer, and they cut it right down to kind of right. get it down to basics. But I'm not sure what. I'm not sure what else you could say with that story. You establish that they're in a happy relationship, well, and then she dies in childbirth. Like, what more do you need? Short of attempting a kind of Coen Brothers rug pull where she just dies, you know, 40 minutes into the film. Yeah, I don't really know what they could do. And it would have just been arbitrary. Yeah, and it wouldn't... that Time killing. And the way the film works, it is balanced in terms of its structure. So that... Yeah. So I'm not sure about that, but I definitely remember hearing that. It feels very much like it's, you know, an an attempt at doing what the opening 10 minutes of Up did. It's obviously yeah. not nearly as skillfully done, but it does feel mm. very much like it's supposed to be that kind of a 
yeah. gut punch did early you, on. Because it is like the opening 10 minutes of film. Did you get a sense that this wasn't a particularly good relationship? Yeah, well, <laughs> this is something because, I wanted to say. Is you know, that I So, Jennifer Lopez is... Um, She's an easy target. I, I don't know much about her. I don't really remember any of her music. I don't think I've seen any of her films other than this. I don't really know anything about her. I, I have to say something about her in this film. She does not come across as a likable human being. Yeah. She comes across like a nasty piece of work, and I don't know what it is she's doing. She just inherently has a very unlikable quality about her. <laughs> is that the character, though, or is that? I don't she's know. I to? don't know. <laughs> but it, uh, her but character it's obviously in this... it's not supposed to be the character. It's supposed to be this lost love, this, this <laughs> well, d- the tragic death. I mean, again, like she just doesn't seem like a nice person. And so the whole opening of the film doesn't work for me because you're yeah, meant to buy into sell, this. This this tragic lost romance. Plus, Ben Affleck is shit. Um, I that's my first note, and you said it last week. But I was like, Ben Affleck really is shit, isn't he? <laughs> he really he, is. He gets away <laughs> with the majority of this film because yeah. the majority of this film calls for bland, attractive, yeah. white lead male who just kind of can run to a proverbial airport. But at the start, when he finds out his wife's died, it was embarrassing. And he didn't even have to... They did the thing with a camera pulling out and music playing over it. So he only had to do like half a performance. Still couldn't do it. It was it was awful. This was, this was another thing that really comes across in this film. And I was trying to figure out where Kevin Smith was coming from with this. Because that main character that Ben Affleck plays, his kind of go-to emotional response is aggression. It's anger. Mm. And given that Kevin Smith writes what he knows, I, I don't believe for a second that Kevin Smith is an aggressive, confrontational person. In no, fact, he seems exactly quite, the he's quite the flight rather than fight. Yeah, definitely. Guy. So is this is this him trying to express that other side of him that he can't get out in, in his writing? Is it just Ben Affleck took the script and said, oh, I'm going to do it like this? Because I don't get the sense that Kevin Smith throws a lot of direction at his actors either. He'll have read something about Stan Lee saying he wrote The Incredible Hulk to express his own (laughs) internal anger issues, and he'll have gone, oh, yeah, I should do that. But yeah, it's a very weird character trait for this character. Not weird, I think that's, that's actually quite normal. I think a lot of people, men particularly, do react like that, but it does not make him likable. Yeah, it's a very believable character, but like you say, it's not likable, and it's not like he—it's not like the arc of the film is him is, yeah, exactly, dealing yeah, with yeah. that and becoming less like that. It's just a personality trait that he has and stays with him. Um, talking about the cast, though, this is yeah. for the most part uh, Kevin Smith stepping outside of his usual stable of of chums. Well. There's there's a lot of new faces here. There's a lot of old faces. You got George Carlin coming back for a really great, um, yeah, great. role, actually. Probably Far, the best thing in the film, right? Yeah, I agree. It, it, he's. I thought he was presumably like best suited to just quick cameos, like he's had in Kevin Smith's previous films. No, he, he gives a really nice supporting performance here as as his dad. He, he's got a lot of. He feels very real. Um, yeah. He's yeah. it's not a big character, is it? Considering yeah, he's a he... com- comedian, you usually yeah. go big. Um, it's very nice, little subtle. It's like he's the granddad. He's probably mellowed in his later years, and so he's much. He's probably a much better granddad than he was a dad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, his he, wife's he... not around anymore. He's had to change his lifestyle. But he is obviously from the returning stable. We've got Jason Biggs, who obviously was in Jane Silent Bob. 
strike back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, quite that, small I, role. If, I, if I recall, that was the part that was written for Jason Mewes, uh, but he was a heroin addict, and so right. he gave it to someone else. I, if I recall correctly. I can't see Jason Mewes in that, or doing it well, but fair well, enough. Yeah. I can believe it was written <laughs> that way. Uh, you've got Liv Tyler is the obvious other big, well, the romantic lead. Yeah, and but she well she doesn't turn up until what forty minutes in something like that. It's quite a late introduction. Yeah, which I think says a lot about that this film isn't really about that romantic yeah. plot. Yeah, and I I quite like Liv Tyler. I think she's actually quite good. I don't think you get any of that in this film. She's fine. She's fine in this. I think she's quite natural as well. Yeah, that she, sort of pixie girl charm to it. She just feels a bit out of place, honestly. I think in this film, and I don't know if that's. Is there an age disparity between her and Ben Affleck or something? They they, they don't they just don't seem right to eat next to each other, and I don't know why, but it's almost like she seems too nice and friendly, yeah, to be taking yeah. such a proactive interest in this man. I also think it, the the relationship itself doesn't get the time to develop properly because it's not the main plot, so it is very much like this meet cute thing, and then oh they're kind of dating now, mm. uh, and and yeah, and she's just a bit. Yeah, she does seem at odds with him and his life, where, like where he is. Like she's so much more kind of liberal and stuff. But I, I think well, she is in it, ways, it, but then not in others. Sense she... though, like well, it's just because the sex stuff, isn't it? But then... I was going to say she seems to like shaming him about renting porn. This film has very nineties attitudes towards porn. Well, he's getting it on seem... a videotape for a start. So yeah, which, <laughs> that's very nineties. Which feel <laughs> weirdly archaic in two thousand and four. I mean, like I say, I feel I always find it amazing when you go back to stuff from the nineties. How different attitudes are towards pornography and stuff. But obviously, it was pre-internet. But this is this is after the internet had taken off and internet porn was a thing. Maybe not to the extent that it is now, but so yeah. I mean, Kevin Smith strikes me as someone who's just got classic Catholic guilt about masturbating, but then can't stop doing it and loves to talk about it as well. Is this just conflict with his own mind? So maybe it derives from that. So, of course, the um, the Will Smith thing does pay off with a very odd A-lister cameo near the end of the film that doesn't really... It, it seems like it's meant to play as, you know, the scene where Ed Wood meets Orson Welles or something. <laughs> it seems like it's meant to have more purpose than it does, but I don't think it really does have much purpose. It, it, well, it, it doesn't have enough purpose to justify it running for about ten minutes. Yeah, if you haven't seen the film, he's a PR guy, one of his clients is Will Smith, he basically goes up and slags him off and says he's shit in front of a load of people, loses his job, then spends a lot of the film trying to get back into being a PR guy years on, and then he ends up sat in a waiting room next to Will Smith for ten minutes, and they just have a a very human conversation about parenting and blah 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 blah, and uh, you you kind of you can see like the dots they were trying to connect. I don't think it quite works, but um... but it, it's it's the moment in the film where he realizes what's really important to him, which is his daughter, and he goes off and runs to the airport. But then, yeah, the Will Smith bit. I like I like the the the, the bit between them. It's very natural. It's really. It's got that Will Smith charm, you know. He just yeah. he just pulls it off perfectly. Yeah, Will Smith's very good in it. To be fair to him, yeah. But yeah, it doesn't quite justify like the character's actions, and yeah, it doesn't. It's you need a big moment for that switch, and it's it's too small a moment. It's, if mm. anything, it's too sort of subtle and real. 
to work with the film style. Like I, be, I think I've been cut down on this film. I, I don't dislike this film. I actually, I quite like it. I think I do think it's a beautiful oh, love story with this this, this dad and his daughter. I think it, Kevin Smith apologies. <laughs> no, no, because I don't think it's very Kevin Smith. Even I don't think it is. Um, but I, I do. Shyamalan all over again. <laughs> I like this beautiful love story that's at its heart. And and everything else is okay. It's just like everything's okay. You know, these little yeah, characters I mean, are the, good. The, the, the actors this, generally are decent. Ben Affleck's a bit shit. This film was often pointed to as the low point of Smith's career and like, oh, he's what a bag of shit and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's very harsh because, like, as I said before, this film, this is the, this is a film that aspires towards mediocrity. And I think it uh, achieves that. I yeah, think yeah, mediocre yeah. is the word. It isn't bad at all. It's just not good it's just like why what was the point okay well what do you rate it i give it a six out of ten that's fair i give it a seven i think it's it's fair that's i don't know if i'm happy about that 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 means it gets 65 percent on dimreturns.com that seems far <laughs> too high well hello there i'm sorry for interrupting this fine podcast but as we've been looking at Kevin Smith so closely, we've decided to try and follow in his footsteps a little bit and actually make some money off this podcasting thing. That's right, we've finally started a Patreon account. So what would you pay to help us cover the costs here at Diminishing Returns? Uh, $5 a month, maybe? Uh, $3 a month? No, you can support your favourite podcast for just $1 a month at patreon.com forward slash dimreturns. Now, we're only asking for a tiny amount because we don't want to charge for the show, but it would be nice to cover our web hosting costs and all the other little expenses that come along with it. Right, I don't want to hold up this episode any longer, so I'll tell you more at the end. But for now, just go and visit patreon.com forward slash dimreturns. Okay, so I think the critical and certainly fan reaction to that film was really bad. And seemed to be enough to kind of make Kevin Smith think, shit, I need to get back to basics. Go back to the well. Go back to the well. And I'm I'm assuming it's that that spurred him on to make Clerks 2, the long-awaited sequel that... I don't know, had anyone asked? I was going to say that no one asked for, but they probably had, actually. And there'd been enough kind of weird little offshoots and references to it in other films and so forth that maybe people did want Clerks 2. But yeah, he went back to the well and and made a sequel to his first film, which is certainly out of everything so far my my highest rated Kevin Smith film. I think you might have liked some other ones more. I don't know, Alan. Do you? Or is Clerks still the pinnacle for you yeah. at this point? At the yeah. moment, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get there, um, should we mention some of the other little things? I mean, basically, there's a Clerks animated series. Yeah, I watched that quite recently. I have seen it. Didn't like it. <laughs> Do you like it? Yeah, no, it was just... It's, it, it's just, it, it's nothing like Clerks, tonally, or none of its voice. It's just like a wacky, silly cartoon, but then it, it feels yeah. pitched at much less of a an adult level than most adult animation. It feels much more like a Saturday morning cartoon for kids that just swears yeah. occasionally. Yeah, or... exactly. that's exactly right, actually. Yeah, that's a very good description of it. And on, th- on that level, it's, it's a perfectly passable bit of silly fun. Like, if you're aiming at 10-year-olds, then that's fine, but obviously this isn't. So I It didn't do stoners, well. I guess, is what was the point. Yeah, it got... It got it's a famously, like, incredibly quickly cancelled show. I, I think it only aired, like, 
one or two episodes before they pulled the plug uh, due to animation and how it works. I think they produced six, so they were released on DVD. Yeah, it's not terrible. It's, it's, it's watchable, it's sure. just... You, you just expect more. Yeah, the one interesting thing about it is uh, it gets very meta. And it kind of like, I think it's episode three where they. they I think it's um, earlier than that. The clip show is like. Yeah, episode, episode two, two is a clip oh, show yeah. in which they look back at clips from episode one. And episode three, they go to like a clerk's convention and hear these. Everyone's complaining that the clerk's animated series isn't good. So they're going to say, we're going to try and make it more like clerks, the film. Um, and then they don't change anything anyway. <laughs> but oh, it's does, a, it's a strangely or anything. No, but it's a strangely kind of meta mm. deconstruction of these things. Where it doesn't well, I, I really think concept. I think conceptually, there's some really nice ideas there. The, the idea of doing a clip show on episode two with clips from episode one is that is comic genius. That is brilliant. <laughs> but it, like you say, it just doesn't quite come together. It's like the people actually. It's like someone had great ideas. I don't know if that was Kevin Smith or what, but then the writers that it was passed off to just couldn't quite do it. it it's just, yeah. Oh, I, I did look up the guy, the other guy who kind of created the Clerks TV series with Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier. He's written such classics as The Cat in the Hat, Ooh. Uh, Euro Trip. Uh, okay, Euro Trip's all right. Uh, the Dictator. He was. Oh writer, my God, appalling. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Yeah, but he seems like he was a writer on Saturday Night Live before all that, and you know, so it's like, yeah, um, yeah, it feels like a Saturday Night Live production. Actually, it's got the same kind of hit ratio. <laughs> um, and and they they did do a they they you did a little short film called The Flying Car, which yeah. was I uh it, that was kind of I it, it felt like that was a little test the water as to whether or not there'd be an appetite for Clerks 2, and that was released yeah. on the 10th anniversary Clerks DVD, I believe, the big the big set, which mm-hmm. I I assume sold very well. It's a perfectly nice little short film. It's exactly what we want from those characters. It's, yeah, it's, I, their, I, it's their, their voices again. It's, it's good. Yeah, so. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's just, it is just like a scene from Clerks, which, you know, we're all yeah. quite disjointed and what have you anyway. And this, for whatever reason, was when I just discovered Kevin Smith. Between Jersey Girl and Clerks 2. I bought Clerks. I, I think I downloaded and watched all of his earlier films in um, the early days of LimeWire and what have you. And it was I was the perfect age for it. I'll have been about 15, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting into film. Wow, there's this, you know... This this slacker film speaks to me, man. They're just sat around doing nothing, talking about films. <laughs> and he's made it on nothing. And I'm young enough to think that this is more deep and meaningful than it is. And all that yeah. sort of stuff. And Clerks was by far... Well, it was the only one I really liked, honestly. So I was incredibly excited when Clerks 2 went into production. It was basically the perfect time for me to get into mm-hmm. him. Again, yeah, I was a similar sort of position. I was a big, big fan of Kevin Smith. I hadn't even hated Jersey Girl, you know. I thought that was all right. Mm. And so, yeah, Clerks Two was good for me. I went when I went to see it at the cinema. I mean, honestly, I loved it. It was really like this is a fantastic film. It's it's hit everything I wanted it to hit. It's developed in the way I wanted to develop. See, I'm really interested to know what you make of it, but it does sound like you're going to be positive. Like, well, mm. having watched it again a couple of days ago. 
as basically has been the trend with going through all these Kevin Smith films again, it's definitely gone down. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I've had the exact same thing. I, I went to see this and I loved it. I thought my 16 year old self just thought, yeah, that was exactly what I, that's everything I could have wanted. It was more clerks. It was more, you know, funny conversations, more heart, more plot this time around, a bit more structure, uh, perhaps a bit more depth and meaning to it this time. I, th- I think my 16-year-old self might have made the argument that it was the better film of the two, even. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I think I still preferred the first one in a kind of um, yeah, I know what you mean. personal level. My first note is, is this good or embarrassing? I can't <laughs> tell. Well, yeah, I mean, my when I went to see this, I was... I was 22. I was working in a kind of shitty job. I hadn't really figured out what I was doing with my life. So I was very much That's, in a clerk's That is a point as well. I had of... just started working at uh, Summerfield. So again, it was that was probably a big part of why I yeah. connected with the first clerks around that time. And yeah. yeah, I was, again, the perfect age to be going to see something like this. Yeah, so I, I was the right age for that. I was kind of in the right place. That's the reason I kind of connected with clerks. So clerks 2 comes along and that's just a similar thing. Now, when I'm watching it again, I'm 34 and still haven't quite really figured out what I'm doing in my life. So I'm in much more of a similar position to Clerks, the guys in Clerks 2. I'm the same yeah. age as they are. No, I know. I, I was expecting to find it more relatable and more poignant. And it, yeah. it doesn't really ever grapple with that. Not properly. And again, again, yeah. And as we found, I feel like I've grown out or I've outgrown these Kevin Smith films. Ultimately... They haven't moved on. They haven't really changed. And this, I think, this is the sort of problem for me, I think, because a few years ago, this was something I went through in which I was like, you know, what... I was I was kind of struggling with the concepts of, like, what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. What makes you an adult, a responsible person? Like, should I be settling down and having a family and all this sort of thing? And this is what the Dante character is going through, really. He's... He's getting married and settling down because he feels like that's what he's supposed to be doing rather than because it's what he wants. And ultimately, what I want the film to be about is him like pulling away from that and going, hey, you know what? I need to figure out what's important to me. Yeah. And that was what would relate to me because that's what I've done. But ultimately, what happens, to skip right to the end, is that he just changes the person he's putting <laughs> that on. So it's all about how love will sort of get you through. And yeah. obviously, I don't like that. I don't really go with that. I, I think the, the romantic backbone of the film, the romantic plot is the biggest reason as to why this doesn't hold up for me now. When I was 16 I probably just took it at face value that that's, that was a decent I think, yeah, and I think when I was 22 it was Whereas the same sort of thing, yeah. Now I'm all, I know what relationships are like and I've lived a bit and it's just basically what, how this is presented is he's with this person that he clearly doesn't like uh, mm-hmm. He spends time with this woman that he's clearly in love with and is clearly in love with him, and there is mm. no ambiguity about it or anything no. or, or conflict preventing them from being together beyond the fact that he's arbitrarily with someone he doesn't want to be with. And it's not even like the film really gets into the idea of him being a prisoner of his own creation enough for that to work. Uh, again, they kind of they lampshade it, but they don't dig into it on any level. It's not what the film's about. So it it just doesn't work. It's too... There's no conflict there, really. And they put a kind of ticking clock on it because he's literally moving away the next day to start his new life. 
Um, but even that doesn't quite pay. It doesn't give this sense of time and drama mm. to it. Even that doesn't quite work. What I do like about the film is the story between Dante and Randall and that kind of little love story in which they yeah. have to they have to confront their own kind of feelings for each other and, and understand why that's important as well. It's weird, man. I thought you were the only guy in the world who got me and had my back. The only person who'd take a bullet for me, because I assumed you felt about me the same way I feel about you. Then all of a sudden, one day, you're like, I'm moving, bye. Do you know what that's been like for me? Like, I'm looking at a future that just sucks because you're not going to be in it anymore. And you're not even throwing me over for a life that means something to you. It's just a stupid, hollow existence you think you should embrace because you're getting old or something. Because it's the kind of life everyone else goes after. And, and can I say, um, this is probably a good tangent to jump onto the acting in this film in general, but Jeff Anderson, we, we mentioned, uh, Randall mm-hmm. from Clerks, I think we said he was by far the, the best performance, the most competent performance in the original Clerks. He has improved, I think. He he is, at the point that we pick up with him here, Clerks 2, he feels like a legitimate actor, on par with yeah. anyone that you would cast in a film, you know? he, he He's yeah. great, I think, in this. He really, obviously it's a role he's familiar with, he's comfortable with, but I think he's really great in this film. Can't say quite the same for Brian O'Halloran as no. Dante, but I think he is fine. He gets away with the role. He's got enough enough of a weird charm. And yeah, I don't really yeah, know why definitely. he has that charm, because the character is really shouldn't be very likable at all. But he he I don't know if that is just Brian O'Halloran himself. Is just <laughs> he's a bit kind of a of sad a, sack. Yeah, he's kind of just difficult to dislike. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think he gets away with it as well. There's definitely a few moments when he's like gives a lingering look or whatever that are really nice. Mm. I think when he's doing dialogue, it's not quite as strong. Oh, yeah? And what's that? You obviously have such a great handle on your life. Tell me what you would do if you were in my position. Or even what you'd do in your own position. Swing that judgmental pendulum back the other way and tell me how you'd solve all your problems, asshole. What the fuck would the great Randall Graves do if he were half the master of his destiny that I'm supposed to be? I, I have to say, if... um. I remember complaining about Jay and Silent Bob in Clerks and how I just kind of found them an annoyance and grating. I think they're the comedy highlight of Clerks too. They are fantastic <laughs> in this. Do you not think? I don't know, they're fine. They, it definitely feels low energy to me. I think maybe just because I watched Jay and Silent Bob strike back. This just feels like Jay and Silent Bob brought down. Like, just like, hey, everybody chill out, man. I, I don't know. It's just they get all the little lines. Like, there's the bit where they make... Um, a burger with flies in it and a drink with urinal piss ice yes. cubes for uh, My Name is Earl. And then he gives yeah. it to Jane Silent Bob and then you walk past him later eating and drinking it and he just goes... You know, this tastes like piss and flies, don't it? <laughs> it's just just lines like that. And it's yeah. just, it's not too much. It's just like, it's the right level of use of them, I think. I, I think some of the other films kind of use them too much and if perhaps it was a, a fatigue about them after Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back that led to them being a lot more careful with how they were used here and picking them up. Yeah, I, like I, say, I, I, haven't, really well. I haven't got a problem with them whatsoever. It definitely feels like sober Jay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like he's he's thirty years old now, he's grown up a bit and he's like it's just not 
just not as anarchic. It's not there anymore. Yeah. Which is fine. It's understandable. I think that's it. I, I think it's that when they appear here, it feels like it's a joke that was written into the script rather than just Jason Mewes decided <laughs> to start, like, simulating fellatio on something. And that that's that's what... I think I prefer the former. <laughs> so, we, we, we mentioned that Kevin Smith writes what he knows. So, what he's written here is a sort of sad loser character who's got himself a girlfriend who's, you know, all right looking, but not actually as attractive as he seems to think she is. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, I think the film wants you to think that she's like a supermodel. I don't, I don't well, think that's an I, I think the idea is she was like the popular girl. She was the cheerleader at school that yeah. never spoke to him, and now he's finally got the, the sexy girl. Yeah. Because she's settled, because she's older. That is very much the idea, yeah. Which it doesn't quite play, because that, that woman is played by Jennifer Schwalbach-Smith, who is Kevin Smith's wife. Obviously, he finds her unattainably attractive. But she's actually very... Very attainable looking. Yeah, I mean, like, by Hollywood I standards. Like, I feel like I don't want to judge someone of their looks, but I feel like it's being kind of forced on me here. No, I was going to say, it's presented. I, yeah, I don't. I'm not massively comfortable, you know, with that conversation, like you say. But this film is presenting her as, yeah, this film asks you to. She's the to, mean girl, right? She's the yeah, bitchy exactly. popular girl. Within the context of this film, it's important what she looks like, and she she just doesn't quite look. And that's that, that's Kevin Smith's fault. That's just bad casting, really. But yeah, and she's not a terrible actor either. She's all right. She's so. she's surprisingly all right. You know, my my memory of um my memory of her in these films was that she was a bit shit and jumped out at you as like not being very good. And I I don't know where that came from really because she's yeah. better than a lot of people in this film. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I just I just wanted to ask um. Do you think Kevin Smith married Jennifer Schwalbach because of his commitment to the fat person, skinny person double act? Because <laughs> <laughs> she's very tall and skinny, and uh, and he's you know shorter than her and chubby. Yeah, even in this film, like Pete Kevin Smith, he's not that fat. My yeah. memory of Kevin Smith has always been that he's like a big fat guy, and he's just not. It's because <laughs> he talks about it so often. I know. Like, it's, 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 it's weird, though, isn't it? But yeah. Uh, who else is there? Oh, yeah, the one I wanted to talk about. Elias? Trevor, Trevor Furman as Elias. Yeah. What's going on there? What is that? How did that well, happen? Well, who is it? I'm hoping, uh, there's, I... a, I'm hoping there's a story you can tell me because I, I looked him up and this is, I think, his first acting credit. Well, no, it's his last acting credit. Is it? Okay. Yeah, but he's done a, but he, he hasn't like done much before that. No. Very small little things. Well, he did one film called Now You Know, which is written and directed by Jeff Anderson, who right. plays Randall. Um, so I assumed he was like a friend of a friend or something. That... But yeah, I don't know exactly what the connection is there. I haven't seen that film either. So, but I, I mean, actually, I actually quite like him. Uh, it's a weird, like quirky I'm, character, yeah, but he plays it's... with enough. <laughs> Realism that it works. Oh, I would somehow. not use the word realism. Um, I think okay, he is film realism. I think it feels overacting it, and it 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 works in a kind of comedic way. I think I don't dislike him or the character, but he feels very out of place within the tone of Clerks. This kind of big comic performance, 
And you also can't help but notice that he's about 10 years older than his character's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know how... I'm not sure. He, he, right, he's, he's, he's 26. I looked it up when they when they made this. I think 26, he's playing a 19-year-old. He looks far yeah, too yeah. old. But I don't, I don't believe that Kevin Smith has written that character as it's expressed. I, I think the actor has brought that to it for whatever reason. Kevin Smith has written a character that's like a, a, a nerdy little religious kid who doesn't know anything about sex. Yeah. But all these like ticks and these little kind of mannerisms. And you're you're probably right, actually. Yeah. But I think, but that's why I said I think it's realistic. I don't think it plays as a big comedy character. I think it plays as someone who's got something wrong with them, like who maybe is so socially dysfunctional that he's he's developed like ticks and stuff. Like mm. you know what I mean? It's yeah, uh, yeah. So and that's it actually played it, quite nicely. For to me. be I honest, it was it, a good it, it's performance. Just, it's I don't know. It's when you look at him in like crowd shots and this is something i'm going to get on to again later but when you look at him in like shots with other people and they're just doing reactions and everyone else is doing like a normal reaction and you'll just see him in the background kind of gurning looking all around left right left right it's just it's too much um <laughs> i'm not surprised that he hasn't gone on to do anything else basically but at the same time i do like him in maybe this, that's right? what he's like maybe it's just him maybe he's a special kid i doubt it um <laughs> And last but not least in the cast, uh, worth mentioning, we have Rosario Dawson as yeah. the sort of romantic lead, probably the third lead of the film, Becky. I mean, it's Rosario Dawson, and she's always brilliant, I think. Everything I've ever seen her in, she's a highlight yeah. of, and this is no exception. She She's one of the strongest yeah. performances in the film, probably the strongest performance in the film. Yeah, an excellent actor. If there's, if there's one failing, she's too attractive. Yeah, <laughs> to to create the balance between the two women. If there's one failing, she's too good an actor to the point that <laughs> yeah. it really stands out within the world of this film as well. Uh, yeah, that's the cast. But yeah, do you know why this isn't set in the quick stop? Because I think uh, I, mean, with, I I get on one hand it's like give them a new location, new jokes and opportunities arise. Maybe it's literally just we need a bigger space to work in. Yeah. We just need to be, expand this a bit more. Maybe, yeah. What, what doesn't quite translate to this fast food store is that there's never any customers there. Yeah. They're always just fannying about. At one point they come back and everything, everyone's panicking because Elias can't do anything and Rosario Dawson's character is like, God, where have you been? Come on, we need to get there. And there's like literally four people in the queue. <laughs> um, and there's never well, anyone there. It's... You are forgetting... <laughs> When uh, when Jane Silent Bob put on ABC by the Jackson Five, and suddenly yeah. it's it's the busiest I've ever seen it. Yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> again, can you shed some light on this? What the fuck was Kevin Smith thinking? You love a music number that makes no sense in a film. I know that. No, I I I like. <laughs> I like a musical number that makes no sense when the film is an absurdist comedy, or and then that's pretty much the only justification for it. Otherwise, I like a musical number that makes sense. So that'd be something like Ralph Breaks the Internet, Buffy the Vampire Slayer when they did their musical episode, or I just love a musical. What I do not like is a film that kind of is born out of a tradition of very grounded realism, then having a, a really cheesy sequence where characters dance to music that's playing that then 
you can just about go go along. Well, that's it. At first, it's all still diegetic. They're playing a song because they're practicing dancing, and then everyone else is just like, "Oh yeah, I'll dance along to that." Choreographed dance sequence out in the park, and then there's a a significant step. (laughs) What the fuck was he thinking? (laughs) Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what the story is behind that because it doesn't fit in the film at all. I enjoyed it though. (laughs) Beyond that. What the fuck was everyone working on this film? Like he edits them himself, so fair enough. He didn't have an editor telling him take that out. But you still got the Weinstein's there putting money into it. They must be they must be asking questions. You that's it. You've still got people like that producing. You've still got all his mates, Quentin Tarantino and stuff, who he's doing screenings for and trying to get feedback. Robert Rodriguez. One of the special features on the DVD is is him doing like a. a a preview screening for those guys and then them kind of giving him feedback and none of them presumably oh maybe they did and he just ignored them but <laughs> that would be my first note would be take that out <laughs> I don't know I, I it's, it shouldn't be there it's awful that scene just fuck that scene I hate it anyway uh so you know do you know that um Kevin Smith and his wife, uh, when they were seeing each other, they basically decided to split up, and then they they kind of got together and were like, "Oh, let's just one last time for old times' sake." They had sex again, and she got pregnant, <laughs> and that's that's why they got married. So <laughs> that's not a good foundation for a relationship, is it? Exactly. Although they're still yeah, well, together to this day, they are, so, they are indeed. Yeah. That's you know, relationships are all about compromise, and he does whatever he's told. That so is that very true. Perfectly. That is very true. Yeah, so here again, we find that our main character is only manages to sort of push himself into position where he wanted to be because he accidentally knocks somebody up. Yeah. I, I, I think that that might go part of the way towards explaining why, at the end, Dante and Becky jump straight into marriage without yeah. even thinking, maybe we should try having a, a relationship Yeah, I really first. didn't like that. It was, yeah, it, it, the idea of him going, do you know what, I'm... I've made the wrong decision. I don't need to go there. We've worked together. Here. We've worked together. We had sex once, uh, like drunken sex. Mm. Therefore, we know we're going to want to be together for the rest of our lives, even though we've not tried being in a committed relationship yet. That's it. And, even and, though and, one and... of us is openly disparaging towards the very concept of monogamy. <laughs> uh, that's it. And, and, and the fact that the pregnancy line compels him to do this rather than it being a kind of character arc where he chooses that that's not the life I want. I want to explore this. I want to stay with my friend. I want to start seeing this woman and see what happens there. It's it, like it really I cheapens the here. ending in a way that I yeah, think is very yeah, unfortunate yeah. because ultimately yeah. if this film had ended with them buying the quick stop and turning it around and taking over that and making it their own thing and he starts seeing it like maybe you know, the final shot could have been Becky comes in to visit him at the quick with stop. Some with some lasagna. And that would have been beautiful. It sets them up in being in like a, a nice committed relationship and he's actually happy. That would have yeah. been a beautiful ending. Genuinely, it would have been lovely. It would have just been perfect. But because it's this fucking romantic comedy bullshit where she jumps in through the drive through window into his mm. lap and they drive off into the sunset, it's just... It's just it does, absolute fucking arse, and it cheapens. It does cheap it, yeah. It does. Film. You're right. I agree. But having said that, I do like the film. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> because I, it's still got that Kevin Smith humor that I just like. It's not nearly as good as I thought it was, but I still like it. 
and I, I, I really like Clerks. There's something very inherently likable about these characters and the cast, and uh, yeah, I like it. I like that it exists. I like that he did it. I think it's a real shame that Clerks three basically sounds like it's never going to happen. Uh, seven out of ten for me. Yeah, I gave it an eight. Which, bear in mind, this was a ten out of ten for me when I first watched it. Well, see, this was yeah, an eight from from me, down, and so. I bumped it down to a seven on this rewatch. But it used to be an eight mm. from me. Yeah. Yeah. So eight for me. Uh, so moving on. Uh, then that film I think was received well enough that it gave Kevin Smith the confidence to take another stab at making mainstream successful films. The other thing we have mm-hmm. to mention is. Uh, the rise of the R-rated comedy, mm-hmm. basically down to Judd Apatow, I, I think, almost exclusively. Oh, yeah. It was The 40-Year-Old Virgin came out in 2005. Uh, it surprised everyone by being not a load of puerile nonsense. I think everyone was expecting kind of Adam Sandler-esque bullshit. It was actually <laughs> a really fantastic, hilarious, emotionally grounded film. And it became the big trend of Hollywood that's still very strong to this day, actually. R-rated comedies mm-hmm. are still a big bankable thing, but up until this point, you did not make an R-rated comedy. You made a PG-13 rated comedy because giving it an R rating was seen to be something as a, of a deathbed. It was only very rare exceptions that were allowed to be released with an R rating. So Team America yeah. was a rare exception because it was the South Park guys. It just didn't really happen. Uh, but obviously Kevin Smith was one of these guys who made R-rated comedies, but his were little indie films, which is how he kind of got away with it. And so we got Zack and Miri Make a Porno, which was, again, very much Kevin Smith making a stab at mainstream. And I don't have a massive amount to say on it, other than, much like Jersey Girl, it's basically devoid of any of Kevin Smith's personality, I think. I started questioning if he even wrote the script for this. I had to double check he was a credited <laughs> writer because it feels like they just brought him in to direct a script that like Seth Rogen had thrown together with Evan Goldberg yeah. or something. It, it, well, it, it was it, my, one of my main notes was this feels like an Apato era comedy, it, but I, I do feel like this is Kevin Smith embracing that style. Yeah, rather than trying to write something generic, I think it, it's obviously got a lot of his traits. The fact that it's about these, you know, clerks making a film. The, the fact that it's about hockey. The fact that it's got Star Wars hammered yeah. into you. It's got Jason Mewes, you know. It's got. It's definitely as Kevin Smith's traits there. I have to say, uh, tonally, it is such a world of difference between this and his previous films in terms of how confidently produced this film feels. This feels mm-hmm. just so much more professionally put together on like every level it's clearly got a lot of improv in it but the improv actually uh works within the that was one of my other notes finally kevin smith has got actors that can improv yeah <laughs> and, and i don't know and this is it i don't know if it's just because he's got the money to hire really good actors for the most part because the cast are a huge part as to why uh i mean i i love elizabeth banks and i i think she's She's a surprisingly underused comedy performer because she she was thought of as a comedy actor, I think, around this point in her career. But I think she's just seen as a just an actor now, not necessarily a comedy actor. Uh, Seth Rogen, uh, I think it was before everyone had started to get sick of him at this point. Yeah, this is peak Seth Rogen. As yeah, well. yeah and and again, I I 
I like Seth Rogen. I, I can yeah. see why people don't like him, but I think a lot of the people who dislike him discount all the really cool shit he does behind the scenes and stuff like getting the disaster artist off the ground and stuff like that, you know? Um, they've got a good chemistry between them. Then you've got Craig Robinson, who I'm a, I'm a fan of. Uh, and again, he's very much an actor who can improvise in a funny way and it works. Um, mm-hmm. Justin Long has an extended scene at the start that doesn't really go anywhere. It feels like I liked set... him though. That felt oh, he's like fantastic. Him really enjoying it, improvising. Yeah, he's yeah. fantastic in it, and it, it it's annoying to me just because it really feels like he's the ringer they need to bring in in the third act. You call up that yeah. guy, and I get why he's there. He puts the idea in their head, but missed opportunity, I think, to get that character in a bit more near the end. Who else so, you got? Yeah, and then some porn stars. Oh yeah, you've got Katie Morgan uh, yeah. and Tracy Lords, famous child porn star Tracy. Yes, Lords. yes. Do you want to explain <laughs> that to people listening? I'm sure a lot of people aren't familiar uh, with that. Back in the oh god, was it the 80s? Um, I think so. In the, yeah. I think it was VHS Reagan era because yeah, yeah, the Reagan era they were trying to kind of really get down on porno and, and stop people selling it and stuff. Tracy Lords was a porn actor. She did several films, and then. It transpired that she was only 16 at the time. Certainly not built like a, a child, uh, so there was no she, kind she, of... <laughs> I believe she, you know, used a fake ID or something to... Well, this is... Well, the, they really tried to use this as a way to crack down on them. Like, oh, these child porn peddling filth mongers. Um, but obviously she'd... When they hired her, they said, we need your ID. She'd shown them the ID. It proved her age, that she was over 18. That was fine. That What saved them a lot, and saved a lot of people from going to prison for child porn was that she'd used that exact same ID to get a passport. Yeah. Um, so even so, the fact that the fake ID was so good that the government yeah. had been fooled meant that they they were kind of saved in the yeah. sense that we didn't know. We, you know, we, yeah. we, we believed it. And I, I believe she did something like two films in her youth, but then kind of just went quiet for a while, but then returned to the industry as a mature mm. star. I've got a feeling she might be in some John Waters films. She's that Probably, kind of yeah. person, <laughs> yeah. But I, I've got to say, she's her performance is fine in this. You couldn't yeah. tell that she's a, a you know, not mm-hmm. an actor. Um, and Katie Morgan as well. She's a she's a porn actor. She's now, fine. Katie Morgan... Uh, I'm I'm quite a big fan of Katie Morgan for oh, really? reasons beyond her acting, but um, <laughs> oh really? Yeah, well, but this was very much her push into the into the mainstream, and she she did a podcast I think on Kevin Smith's network for a yeah, while. She did, yeah. Um, she presented some HBO series, so she was kind of making a go of it as a mainstream person, not as a porn star anymore. Uh, but she couldn't keep. This film wasn't enough to keep her relevant, uh, and she returned to porn. I think a few years ago, so she's. Mm. But now she's in the uh, mature category as well. Well, now that you're 25, your father's decided you need regular physical exams, and I completely agree with him. Shirt off, please. Yes, but isn't there a rule like uh, your stepmom being your doctor? I mean, like conflict of interest or something? Don't be silly, Jesse. I've only been your stepmom for a couple of years. She she's a really weird element in this film because she's clearly set up as like really sexy, ditzy kind of you know girly girl kind of character. But I think you're meant to think oh she's really hot, but she she doesn't look. She's opposite all these Hollywood people who have Hollywood yeah. 
looks <laughs> and so and she it, looks like a porn and star. she looks like a porn star <laughs> where the standards and metrics are very different I, I get I, I hate to be like judging her in this way but it's because I think the film presents her in a way she she kind of comes across quite ugly in this film in a weird way and I say this as someone who 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 regularly masturbates to her so I don't think she's <laughs> ugly but it's uh um Anyway, uh, I think she is very visibly giving a terrible performance in this film. I don't think it's terrible. That's, but you have to be so looking fair. for it. But she actually has very few lines <laughs> that aren't in a porn scene setting, so she gets away with it. And again, I think she's a really likeable presence. I, I think she brings yeah. a lot of charm and character to the film that wouldn't be there otherwise. So, you know, I like that she's there. And then you've got a surprisingly good performance from Jason Mewes, who I always had pegged in my mind as just being a really bad actor. And I think that's because I'm familiar with Clerks, where he can't yes. act at all. <laughs> um, but again, he, he he's great in this. He's really hilarious. He delivers all the lines completely believably. It's not bad yeah, acting. Yeah, he's genuinely again, quite good. Yeah. yeah, and it's not like he's got anything particularly trying to perform, but he's he's a comic highlight of the film, and it's in a way that's different to Jay, you know? It's not just that exact same role again. It's yeah, similar territory, but... So I was really surprised with him and impressed, honestly. Um, I thought he was great in this. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is just very much... It's just a very solid comedy, I think. It's not remarkable, nothing about it's, mm-hmm. it. It kind of falls trap. Again, it seems like Kevin Smith can't help but make sappy cookie-cutter rom-com stories in his that films That is nowadays. my major complaint with the film, yeah. The the ending, really. It really just wraps up in an overtly in neat way very quickly, and it's just very like, oh, okay. Cause, and, and also, it's, it's, it shows this usual kind of confusion with Kevin Smith films, where Everyone's very casual and about sex, and it's like, hey, sex is just yeah. fine, it's just a thing. But then whenever it's like, oh my god, this is love, and it's the sex is so important to love, and this is going to really make a connection between us, it's like, well, make your mind up. Do yeah. people have sex with feelings or not? <laughs> it, is, it is very, um, yeah, it, it's very confused on that front. I, I think there are some... Seth Rogen's character gets very prudish all of a sudden, and I, I think it's very believable that he would become jealous of her essentially but i think the film presents it in a way that you're meant to think he's looking out for her and he doesn't want to subject her to having sex on camera because he cares about her too much to let her do that and i i think that kind of i don't know if i agree with the attitude being presented there and i think that flies in the face of the kind of sexually liberal attitude the film largely takes and i think i think i would have liked to have seen more of this sense of the seth rogan character kind of discovering himself and figuring out he had drive and, and could yeah. achieve things. Yeah. Like, I think that should have been more of a story and then the romantic story on the side or, or something. More of that, like, because we get a little glimpse of that and obviously that's mm. what the end scene really pays off. Obviously, that's where Kevin Smith's coming from because he's he made a little film and sort of got a sense that he could achieve things about it. Yeah. Now... I have a few issues with the plot where it just gets a bit unbelievable. One of which is they hold open auditions for a porn film they're making as as complete amateur porn makers. Mm-hmm. And they have queues of women lining out the door. 
Yeah, where do you even advertise this sort of thing? Just, presumably, they if you got that sort of cues, you must be paying quite well. Well, this is my next problem. Is I I assume everyone making this film is working for profit share. Well, they seem very um, emotionally in, invested in, in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like anyone's working for pay. The, the the problem with it is, yeah, if if it was set up, it was like, oh, they're all our friends, or like mm. this is the kooky person who comes in the coffee shop, and they always talk yeah. about sex, so we're gonna get them involved. That's how it could have worked. Yeah. But yeah, getting these outsiders and then build, they suddenly everyone loves each other and they they're helping each other out. It doesn't yeah. quite play, does it? They all bond very quickly, which I, I guess makes sense if they're all fucking each other. But it, it it's a it doesn't quite ring true. That's basically it. It just feel it's a leap that you just have to go with. I think for yeah, the film to exactly. work, and it's not the biggest problem in the world. But I I think ultimately this is one of Kevin Smith's best films, and I think that might upset you. <laughs> I think this is one of it. It's it's kind of it's Kevin Smith with a lot of the kinks ironed out, and I think you probably like the kinks, but it. Yeah, I I think ultimately this for me rewatching them is one of the better ones. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 not got that Kevin Smith voice enough for me. I mean, not that I dislike the film, but it just felt like this is a perfectly passable Apato film. You know, it's, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. And I, I think that's it. I think I would rather watch a perfectly passable Judd Apato movie than a <laughs> Kevin Smith movie nine times out of ten. I like it. This film, I think it's good, not great. Seven out of ten. Yeah, I give it a seven as well. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. And that leads us on to the the apex mainstream Kevin Smith film. Uh, the Nadir of yeah, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith trying to just make a go of it as a, a mainstream guy. So, do you know how it happened with regards to him directing a film that he hadn't written for the first time? Was that that Bruce Willis had a project lying around that he wanted him to get involved in, or did he have no. this thing and then he sort of said, "Hey, Bruce, we can." They met. They met doing Die Hard for whatever it is. Yeah, and they talked, and Bruce Willis said, oh, "I'd love to do one of your films." Well, this is, I don't I, know if he actually knew who he was at the time. It, it, yeah, <laughs> Just says that Kevin Smith's read on it is that someone had informed Bruce Willis that. Kevin Smith was a respected <laughs> filmmaker, writer, director, bit of an author, uh, known for his little, you know, comedies, and that it might be well, you know, much in the same way someone probably said the same thing to Bruce Willis about Ryan Johnson and Wes Anderson. Yeah. Um, they obviously told him this will be good for your career to work with Kevin Smith. And on paper, if I was Bruce Willis, two thousand and eight, I would be all over working with Kevin Smith completely. I would perhaps want to work on a Kevin Smith film that he'd written himself. No, well, my my understanding is that Kevin Smith had agreed to do the film and then the studio said, hey, do you think Bruce Willis would be good? And I, I, So I, I think oh, it really? wasn't that they deliberately found something to do together. It okay. was... That's what I understand. So I don't know exactly... I think it was Kevin Smith just wanting to kind of prove himself or prove As something to himself. Like, okay, can I take someone else's script and make it? I think that was it, really, and he liked the script. Because you know, he's a, he is a writer rather than a director, Kevin Smith, really. Definitely. And yeah, definitely. we've criticised his directing skills a lot so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think this was, yeah, something of an attempt to prove himself as a director rather than a writer. And I think it's safe to say that he failed. Uh, <laughs> well, Kind of proved we, his critics. 
We certainly need to address Correct. the fact that Kevin Smith had a terrible experience on this, and I don't know how much of a handle he had on what was happening. But yeah, basically, Kevin Smith and Bruce Willis yeah, it was a much bigger quite immediately project than I think he'd ever worked on before for a start. Not bigger necessarily in terms of scope and money, but just in terms of the people involved. You've, you're in a studio situation. The the you know the production heads are going to be giving you notes. You, you're working with a star who's not just going to hang out with you and have a drink afterwards. He's going to want. Yeah. To, He's going to expect Go back to his certain professionalism. Yeah. <laughs> You've also got um, action scenes, though. You've got stuff that he hasn't really ever done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true, true. So I, I think there's an element of that as well that's going to be adding to it. Uh, it's also worth noting that he had... He obviously got along well with Seth Rogen from the sounds of it. Um, he learned a lot, he said, from Seth Rogen, such as how you can smoke weed on set and it yeah. cultivates a good, friendly atmosphere. Um, yeah, for, for someone a- who's been making stoner comedies for years, uh, Kevin Smith was not a weed smoker until Seth Rogen introduced him to it on the making of Zack and Miri. So then apparently the way he tells it was, uh, was it first day of filming, just lighting up in front of Bruce Willis? <laughs> I think that set the tone for the rest of the production. Yeah, Can you imagine I mean- you're Bruce Willis, you're a big star. <laughs> You're working with this guy. You don't really know who he is. Some people have told you, no, he's a good He's a good little indie filmmaker. This is going to be good for you. So you, you get to set. You're expecting everyone kind of doting on you, professional film set, ready to go when you're ready to go. And then there's just this guy, the director, just smoking weed. I can see how that would really... I don't think the weed smoking specifically would bother him. I think it's more that just... Oh, Kevin I imagine Smith Kevin Smith doesn't just doesn't really know, know how to socialise with people. <laughs> uh, like, of a, I, I think Kevin Smith has one setting. Yeah. And he is that way with everyone. And I think one of the things that you kind of develop as you grow up and mature as an adult is an ability to dial yourself back or, or forward, depending on who you're dealing with and who you're talking to. And I just don't think Kevin Smith has that. He's the same way with his friends as I think he is professionally and you just can't be like that you 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 meet Bruce Willis for the first time you've got to be different and maybe you'll click and become friendly but that's that's you know so yeah I mean I basically he talks at length about his experience working on this film working Mm -hmm. with Bruce Willis and every time everything I've heard about this has come from Kevin Smith himself yeah everything I've heard about it makes me uh side with Bruce Willis (laughs) <laughs> Even though that wasn't Kevin Smith's exactly, yeah, yeah. And then let's add into the mix: Bruce Willis doesn't come across like the nicest guy in the world himself either. Well, that's it. I I can totally believe that Bruce Willis can be a dick. That he's been a f- mega star for twenty years when this was made, and that he's used to a certain standard, used to yeah. a certain way of people. Uh, dealing with him, mm. which may be that of an arrogant film star, but still, that's what he's used to. Yeah. Um. And I, I believe that I can believe that Bruce Willis is fantastic to work with if he, if he, Bruce if he's Willis on board. Strikes me like a fucking pro and someone who will bring a lot to your film. But he also strikes me like someone who will very quickly make a decision whether or not yeah. he's invested he's, in it. Or he not. summed this up as it's a shitty little comedy with this director who's clearly shit. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to get through this and be a total yeah. dick because at least I'll enjoy it. I'll take the money and walk away. This is pure conjecture, but I imagine he went into this very open-mindedly. I yeah. I think he probably quickly on set decided, oh, this is going to be a sack of shit and just And I and think that, that happened because Kevin Smith 
does not come across yeah. as a professional director because he doesn't know he doesn't know what lens is they're shooting on at any given time. Yeah. Like that was and, and, that and was I, one of the, the stories he tells. And and I should add, uh, you know, I, I I've not listened to many directors talk about working with Bruce Willis, but I've listened to a few and they are all glowingly positive about their experience working with him, apart from Kevin Smith. But it's just it's one of those situations where there was obviously a personality clash of nothing that, else that happens and like what, how much can you do about that and yeah. and ultimately you know it was a judging from what kevin smith says it was an awful awful experience that he couldn't yeah. wait to get out of and i mean look at his films following this he it pushed him so far away from having yeah. to work in that system and work in that way that he, he doesn't do it anymore well he said he was gonna retire for a while i think off the back of this he he kind of had two or three scripts that he had written that he wanted to get made and then he was like after that i'm done clerks three is going to be the finale of my career and he's essentially he's found a new way to make films and he's happy again yeah which is great and we'll discuss that next week i think yeah um but i mean you can tell bruce willis was checked out watching the film because the opening shot of this film is bruce willis and tracy morgan walking in slow motion no context or anything you're just meant to think this is cool and bruce willis looks like he's asleep <laughs> and Tracy Morgan looks like he doesn't know where he is <laughs> which is possibly true and I think that I think that just sums up the film uh, you know what you're in for when it opens quite nicely yeah so as as the film itself it's a fairly standard buddy cop comedy film the script is okay Mm, nothing I special. Think, no, I think that's it's 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 that, a bad boys knockoff. You know, it's like yeah, it's trying to bad, capture that kind of bad magic. Boys um, <sighs> it it's. I don't know if buddy cops quite buddy cop. The dynamic is you're matched with someone new, isn't it? And you don't quite clash. So you don't quite get on, and then you kind of learn to appreciate one another over the course of the film. And what this film is is these are two. This is like the buddy cop dynamic, but they've been working together for ten years and they're now really well, great what, friends. So. Yeah, but that's what Bad Boys is, is it? Uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, they they're already together. I, don't I mean, what the Lethal Weapon is after Lethal Weapon. I think I've only seen you know, Bad Boys Two. You ain't seen Bad Boys Two? No, I have yeah, seen Bad Boys Two. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they are. They're they're um, yeah, they're long term partners. They know each other's families and all this sort of thing. They're like brothers. Yeah, and the, part of the problem here is that no chemistry. These guys them. are supposed to, yeah. These guys are supposed to have this really intense partnership and, and relationship, and you just don't get any sense of it. You because... get you get the sense that Bruce Willis is a cop who will like go off to his trailer whenever he's got a break mm-hmm. and uh, clocks out like on the dot on f- at five. Probably comes in a bit late as well. Doesn't do any socializing with his coworkers. <laughs> and Tracy Morgan. Well, for Tracy Morgan, this is just another day at the office. This is what he does, this level of film. So, yeah. The way the characters are played, it feels like the kind of hard-nosed cop and some like homeboy off the street who's helping him with a specific case. Yeah. And they're having to deal with each other. Uh, so it doesn't work that they're like these partners. And then they try and get Sean William Scott in as this character who's like the homeboy off the street who doesn't kind of like, he clashes with them. He's by far the highlight of the film, I think, Sean William Scott. He's the only actor on screen who seems like he's trying. Whether or not it works, I don't know. There's one or two moments with him that are bordering on funny, I think. But what's the point of that character? Because they set it up 
And then they have him, they come in, like they, it pays off as in they, they're going to use him to break into this thing. And then he falls and whacks his head on the wall and, they, and he dies. And then, and then it's just like, oh, right, that's that plot thread dealt with. And there's the like little mid credit scene or whatever. But yeah. It just doesn't make any sense, like from a script point of view, structurally. Like, what is that? What's that character there for? What's the point of it? If there's two actors who do have a bit of chemistry between them, it's Sean William Scott and Tracy Morgan. Yeah. They're very good at playing off each other in the, the few scenes that they get to do that. It, it does seem like, yeah, Tracy Morgan's just improv, blah, 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 blah. And then Bruce Willis, is, his, his improv is to not say anything. That's what his and character's And smirk doing. occasionally. <laughs> yeah. It just feels really unbalanced. Do you it? think that scene with Sean William Scott in the back of the car and Tracy Morgan and Bruce Willis was like the first thing they shot? <laughs> Why? Because it just looks like Bruce Willis is happy to be there and like he's actually sort of trying in a way that doesn't come across in the rest of the film. And maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's probably the best part of the film as well, so that's maybe why um, why he seems a bit more in high spirits. Maybe Tracy Morgan was making him laugh when the camera wasn't rolling, I don't know. It is a very there's a lot of weird like crap back projection car stuff in this film as well. I don't know oh, there's a lot of awful direct the bit where they like handcuff Sean William Scott to the back of the car and then drive to like intimidate him or whatever is it's mm. so just embarrassingly badly directed. It's <laughs> like they set up this thing that's gonna be a big deal and then it's just kinda like, Oh, is that it? They've driven like a hundred and obviously it wouldn't be nice, but it's just kind of like Yeah. And then the, the big final shootout scene, it's just like, oh God, I, uh... they hid behind a wall and then they just you just hear a lot of gun sh- shots and and then they're just basically firing randomly into a building as they're walking past. It's That's about as good as it gets. There's a feel throughout the entire film as well that they've like had to cannibalize the whole thing in the edit. It, it, everything feels so stilted and choppy, and it just feels like it feels as though they they only got to film half of the scenes, and then Bruce Willis would get pissed off and just walk off set, and they just had to like yeah. chop a load of them early. That's that. Yeah. It's just a weird fucking. Did, that might did, be true. Did Kevin Smith edit this one himself as well? <laughs> Presume so. He does. I think he did all of them since. Yeah, like it's not edited well this film, but then it, it it has the feel of a film that just there wasn't the footage to work with in the first place. To... Mm. This film is awful. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't think I'll have hated it as much as you. I don't think it's a good film, but I was like, eh, there's a few laughs, it's fine. Eh. I don't, a few I, laughs. What, what did you laugh at? I don't think I got a single laugh out of this film. <laughs> well, now you bring it up, I can't think of anything no. specific. But uh, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't hate it, you know, I was fine. I, uh, no, I hate this film. Uh, I think it's... The worst thing Kevin Smith's ever done, and even with all the production issues and everything, he should be ashamed of himself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) What would you rate it? Two out of ten. Honestly, I. This is nearly a one out of ten for me, but like, wow, it's it's in it's in focus. (laughs) I gave it. I gave it a six. Fuck off, Jesus (laughs) Christ, Alan. Generous, I know. I know you uh, are a Kevin Smith apologist. I was just like, yeah, though, established. passable mainstream crappy comedy. You know, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, not yeah. passable. It's it is interminable. <laughs> it is so boring by the end of it. By the time they get to all the shootout shit, I couldn't even tell you what the plot is at the end. I just, I, oh my god. Anyway, <laughs> so this is yeah. 
the nadir of Kevin Smith's career so far. And next week, we're going to be looking at the kind of reinvigorated uh, indie Kevin Smith, the pot-driven Kevin Smith, where any little idea that you can blather on about for 10 minutes can become a film. The return return to form? We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely a different phase of his career. No doubt oh, God, that. yeah. So it's going to be a 100%. different discussion. Yeah. Yeah. You love Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah, I do. Thanks for listening, and do please come back next week when we shall complete our journey through the drug-addled mind of Kevin Smith as we look at Red State, Tusk, and Yoga Hoses. Now, if you're enjoying the show and you know someone who is a big Kevin Smith fan, then please recommend us to them. Help us grow by spreading the word. And as I mentioned earlier, we now have a new way that you can support us. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash dim returns and join the collective for just $1 a month. But what's that in real money? Like 80 pence? It's tiny, tiny amount. And for that tiny amount, you can help out the hardworking folks here at Diminishing Returns. And of course, you will get extra content. Our Diminisodes, the bits we do in between full episodes in which we review new releases or discuss the latest film news, they'll be available to our Patreons. And you will get early access to episodes as soon as they're finished. But the most important thing is, you'll be helping us keep the lights on. So if you enjoy what we do and you want to help, then do go and check us out at patreon.com forward slash dimreturns. I'd buy that for a dollar. No! <laughs>